We're going to be continuing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And it's good to be back. We've been on vacation for a while. I leave and I come back and here we are. <laughs> and um, we're no longer inside. But we can still worship. We can still study God's word. We can still sing loudly. Um, one of the things I'm convinced of is this is a testimony to our neighborhood. That we still believe so strongly in the church and the church meeting that we are willing to meet on the lawn. And I've been excited all week, quite frankly. I've been excited about what God is doing, what he can do through the church as we are a, a more visible presence in our world. And so thank you for that. Thank you for coming and being here today. How many of you know, how many of you know who Elon Musk is? Okay, most of you. Um, he's the guy that founded Tesla, um, SpaceX, and um, really sort of any other cool venture that's out there. Well, this week there was some news that he passed Warren Buffett to be sixth on the list of billionaires. And so he is the sixth richest man in the world as of earlier in the week. But the way things work, stock market and everything, as of last night, he was back down to 10th. And so we should feel sorry for him. Um, he went from 6th to 10th, and he's only worth $68 billion right now. And so um, our hearts go out to him and, um, as he's dealing with that. But, but no, seriously, imagine if Elon Musk walked in here right now, and he, he looked at you and said, I will grant you one request. I don't care what it is, I will grant you one request. You want a million dollars? You can have a million dollars. You, you want to ride um, on one of our rockets into space and visit the space station? I'll make that happen for you. You want a Tesla? I'll make that happen for you. And imagine if he came in and, and said that to you, and then you looked at him and said, you know what? That all sounds really neat and everything, but I'd like a bean burrito with extra cheese. <laughs> what would we say to that person? You're nuts, right? I, it, you might call him an idiot. I don't know what, but that would be a little nuts, right? Because someone that has all of these resources available and, and offers you anything, is that really what you would choose? I know our kids are with us, and I love having family services. Kids, it would be like this. What if mom and dad came to you and said, for vacation this year, we're going anywhere. We can go to Disney World. We can go to Disneyland. Well, okay, let's pretend they're open. Disney World, Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm, Magic Mountain. Where else is, is cool? Legoland, SeaWorld. Um, and you say you can go anywhere. In fact, I'll give you a choice of three of those. Kids, would that be cool? Now, what if you looked at mom and dad and said, you know what? I'm good with a ride around the block in the car. You'd be a little nuts, right? Yeah. Well, today as we come to God's word, and today we're talking about prayer, Paul is going to pray for the Thessalonians who are like his kids in the faith. They're like his children. But what we find here is that he is going to talk about what kinds of prayers actually mean something. What kinds of prayers take advantage of the eternal resources that God Almighty has. So many times we come to God in prayer, and, and, and this morning I, I would ask that you don't get me wrong. God wants to hear all of our needs. He wants to hear all of the ordinary things in life. But if that is all that we are asking for, and if that is all that we are coming to God for, we are asking for a bean burrito with extra cheese when we could have a ride to the space station. Because God 
wants to give us so much more in our Christian walks if we will ask and if we will seek him. He cares about every need. Surely he does. And we give those to him and we leave our worries at the foot of the cross. But this morning, my challenge to you is expand our thoughts about what we pray for. Expand our thoughts about how we pray for each other. And let's pray eternal things for each other, eternally significant things for each other, in addition to the other things that we we pray for. You know, in the last few weeks, last week especially, Pastor Andrew did a wonderful job of teaching us uh, the section, last section of Second Thessalonians 2 about standing firm, right? And that we need to stand firm in the faith. We need to stand firm in truth. We need to stand firm in our walk with God. And I think this section follows it on purpose. And we know that because the Holy Spirit has inspired the word. But if we just hear stand firm, we can think in terms of, well, I just have to get more effort and I'm just going to be stoic and I'm going to stand firm. And, and it's real easy for that to start to sound like everything's my own work, right? My own effort. I'm going to keep a stiff upper lip. And, um, and that isn't the answer spiritually. And so Paul immediately goes into asking for prayer and praying for the Thessalonians, the mutuality of prayer to show the answer to standing firm. The way we do that is through the power of God. In fact, if you're trying to stand firm without the power of God, you're, you're just like an easy up in a 30 mile an hour wind on sand. It's not going to work. And so we stand firm by going to God in prayer, by asking for eternally significant things and by trusting God for those things. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 3, and we'll be looking at just the first five verses today. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 5. And, and I really stole the title from the, se- the section heading in the ESV Bible, Pray for Us, because I just couldn't summarize it any better. And so Pray for Us is our title this morning. As Paul and Timothy and Silas ask for prayer, but then immediately go into prayer for this church at Thessalonica. And just remember our history a little bit. This church is one that Paul founded, and then a few weeks, maybe a month or two after founding it, the, the persecution got so intense in town that he had to leave. And the, the place where he was staying, that guy gets arrested, and he's out on, on bond, and, and they finally sneak him out for his life, and he goes on to Bria, and then on down south, and now he's writing this from Corinth. And so he left this church he started after just a few weeks, and, and his heart was still like a heart of, of a father or a mother for a newborn. I still want you to grow. I still want you to know truth. And so he's coming to this writing that, and we get to chapter 3, and this is the final section of Second Thessalonians. And this section, Paul begins to talk about that the way we please God is by pursuing things that matter, by pursuing eternal things. We can fill our lives with so many things that are just ordinary, and, and you know how busy life can get, although right now perhaps your, your calendar is a little emptier um, through, through some of the events. But we can fill our lives with so many ordinary things that we push out the things that matter. And so this last chapter is about pleasing God by pursuing things that matter. And today is about praying for eternal things and praying for things that matter. And again, not that the little things don't matter, but when we, when we only focus on those to the exclusion of eternal things, oh, we're missing the boat. And we've taken a ride around the block instead of gone to Disney World. And so we come to 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. And I'd like to read the whole section, and then we'll break it down. Finally, brothers, pray for us 
that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And we see in verses 1 and 2 his request for prayer. And then 3 through 5, he just shifts to praying for the Thessalonians. He can't help himself. He loves them so much. And so we see this mutuality of prayer, of, of prayer requests for Paul and prayer requests for the people And what we can learn about from this is what kind of priorities should we have in prayer? What kinds of things are eternal things that we can pray for each other? It's easy to say we should pray eternal things, but I find a a list of ideas is very helpful. So our main thought for this passage is Paul's priorities for prayer are the gospel, standing against evil, and growing in our walk for God, with God. His priorities in prayer are the gospel, standing against evil, and growing in our walk with God. And those are the eternal things that I would suggest this morning we should be adding to our prayer lives as we pray for each other. The challenge is to pray these eternally significant requests in all of our prayers for all of the saints and add this into the kinds of ways that we think about each other and pray for each other. Now, now we're at the end of 2 Thessalonians, and we've gone through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, And I don't know if you've caught the theme of prayer, but the idea of prayer keeps coming up over and over and over again. I think think prayer saturates 1 and 2 Thessalonians more than any of the other epistles. Not that it's not there, but these epistles are just dripping with prayer. And and it makes sense if, if you're thinking like a parent and you send your kids off for the first time, you're praying for those kids every day, right? You're praying for what kinds of things they might face at college or what kinds of things they may face on their own. And, and there's a, a heart and a passion for prayer. And that's what we see here in 1 Thessalonians 1, for starting at verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And he goes on to pray for them in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. In, in chapter 3, verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Chapter 5, verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing or have a continual attitude of prayer. Pray the presence of God with us, understanding that. In 525, brothers, pray for us. That's just in 1 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, we've already seen, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, as he prays for them. Chapter 1, verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Chapter 2, verse 13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. And the first verse here is pray for us. And we might think, oh, come on, Paul, get off the prayer thing. Really? Prayer again? You've already prayed for them? And and we say that, and, and sometimes we can think that, and, and I know no one here thinks that about anything when we read about prayer. But sometimes we can skip over these prayers and see them as just sort of extras because I don't believe we understand the power of prayer. And I don't believe we, I I think we struggle, every one of us as finite human beings, to see the importance of prayer, to see the, the effectiveness of prayer. Prayer is vital 
and effective. It is necessary. Don't sideline it to Christianese. Oh, I'll pray for you. And maybe 10 minutes before we see them the next time, we shoot up a quick one so that way we can say we prayed for them. Prayer is vital and effective. And, and our challenges from First and Second Thessalonians as we look at the theme of prayer is do we pray seriously? Do we pray eternally? Do we work at prayer? Is it oozing out of our lives like it is out of Paul's in his letter to, to the Thessalonians? There's a story about Chaplain River, um, Richard Halverson of the United States Senate. And he goes to the Senate and the issue of prayer in schools was coming up. So this is a little older, unfortunately. And it was coming up before the senators and he, he was giving a speech to a couple hundred men at, at the, the annual dinner there. And he was, he was responding to a senator's request about how many people believed in prayer in public schools. And nearly every person, every man in the group raised their hands. I believe in prayer in public schools. And amen, I would support that. But then the senator asked, how many of you pray daily with your children in your home? And only a few hands went up. And so the question comes, were, were they taking prayer seriously? If we're not willing to let it infiltrate into our homes, into our routines, into our daily lives, if, if our lives aren't oozing prayer, then we don't think it's important. And that's hard to hear, but we need to understand that as we come to this and be challenged by how important prayer is. And so prayer is vital and effective. Don't sideline it. Don't just use it as Christianese as a way to end a conversation. But let's genuinely pray eternal things for each other and significant things for each other. So as we pull apart these, these five verses, I want to look at just six things that Paul includes in prayer, either for him or for the others. But they are, these are six eternally significant things that I believe will change how we pray for each other if we try them and if we put them into practice. It might be weird at first because we're not praying that someone's goldfish gets better, but we're praying something much deeper and much more profound. The first one we see in verse one, pray that the gospel will run or spread quickly through them. And I'll explain why I choose the word run there. I was like, well, that's a weird word there. And it is, but it's going to help you remember it. I promise. Pray that the gospel will run through them, through their work. In verse one, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And I love even the example at the beginning there where Paul the apostle, who we th think of as one of the great men of the faith, and he certainly was a pillar of the faith, he is not too proud to ask for prayer. We saw that in 1 Thessalonians. We're seeing it here. He is not too proud to say pray for us because he understands the mutuality in prayer that every believer can come to Christ in prayer. I I'm going to let you in on a secret. I, as a pastor, do not have a better line to God than you do. You know, sometimes I hear that. I'm like, you're the pastor. You, can, you're, you have a more direct connection with God. No, if you're a believer, you stand before the very throne of God and God himself hears your prayer. There is no better connection than that. There is nothing more important than that. And so your prayers are just as effective as my prayers, as anyone's prayers, provided we're following the guidelines in scripture and, and not living in sin and some of the other guidelines. But the prayers of a godly man or woman are effective 
and powerful. And so there's this mutuality in prayer. We can pray for each other. We should pray for each other. It is vital and important. There is equality. I say this a lot. There is equality at the foot of the cross. And whether you're pastor or elder or deacon or deaconess or just sitting here as a member of Village Bible Church, all of us have the same access in prayer to the God who saved us and loves us and is faithful. Amen? So let's take advantage of that access and talk with them and pray because it's, we're equal at the foot, foot of the cross. We're to pray for each other. I love also Paul's example of saying pray for us as an example of humility. See, asking for prayer implies I need something that I can't provide for myself. And that is hard for us to do. It's hard for me to do. My personality, I, I don't want to need anything from anyone. And, and I have to fight that spilling over into my walk with God. Well, I don't want to need God for anything. Well, the, the news is we need God for everything. We need God for everything. And so Paul is modeling that kind of humility here. He implies a need for God through prayer, and that's exactly where we all should be. He depended on God, and thus he needed constant prayer. So what's the request there as we we go on in in verse 1? Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. And that's that's the first point. Pray that the gospel will run. That word speed ahead, it's it's different in different translations because the original word, literally means run which is why i chose run in the in the the point and and it's this weird imagery of the gospel running a race and 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 think of the olympic games the greek games for them and that's the picture of the gospel is running the race and and it's to speed ahead it's to be first it's to be effective and to spread quickly and so paul begins not by praying for their situation although we can give that to God, but not by praying for so many of the other things he could have, but we see his heart. We see the center of his passions here. He says, pray that the gospel would run. Pray that it would run effectively, that it would win the race. Being honored there or glorified, some of your translations say, has this idea of being accepted, being brought in and being um, lifted up by people. And so Paul is praying for the spread of the gospel. He's praying that people will hear it quickly. And, and he says, pray for us that we'll be able to share it effectively. Pray for the, for, for the people that are going to hear it, that they'll be receptive. The word of God is living and active. And I love that this is where he starts. And he, he's probably using some imagery from Psalm 147, 15, which says he sends out his command to the earth. God sends out his command to earth and his word runs swiftly. And, and, and I still think of some of those old salty, the songbooks and some of those things with the giant Bible running array. No, no, this is the gospel making inroads where it's never made inroads before and spreading in ways that it never has. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active. It's living and active. And it does the work of changing lives. So his first request is of eternal concerns. He says, pray for us that the gospel, the gospel will spread. That is his mission. I love how he ends it, as happened to you. And he's drawing on, he says, 
you know, I was only with you guys a, a certain number of weeks, and look at how it spread, and the church founded, and you guys are thriving, and so many good things were happening at, happening at Thessalonica. And he says, as it happened to you, pray that that happens to other people. And there's a lesson there for us. If you've been impacted by the gospel, if I've been impacted by the gospel, we need to be praying that others are impacted by the gospel. There's enough to share. There's enough to go around. We don't have to hoard it and say, well, I, I, I got the good news. But if we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, we long, long for other people to hear. And so we pray for our missionaries and the spread of the gospel. But here, the mutuality of this passage, I would encourage us to pray this prayer for each, of you, each other. Not just for the pastors, not just for the church, but pray this prayer for each other. Now, what happens if I say pray for Justin every day? And I pray that Justin will find someone to share the gospel with and that his words will be from the Holy Spirit. He'll see the opportunity. And I am praying for the salvation. Maybe he tells me someone that, that he's um, praying for. And I'm praying for that every day. Then what am I going to do when I see him on Sunday? Hey, how'd it go with your coworker? Or how'd it go with so-and-so? And, and then we start praying for each other to share the gospel. There's, there's, there's a different side of this too. I think that begins to, to reorient our priorities and reorient our focus. Because if he knows I'm praying for him every day to share the gospel, what is he now thinking of every day? How can I share the gospel? See, so many of our, our attempts to share the gospel are stifled because we forget to, that we're even here to share the gospel. And so this is a way of making this a priority in the body of Christ making the gospel a priority. Is the gospel a priority for you? I think about that. This morning, did you catch what we sang about in almost every song? We sang the gospel. And you have those words, you can take them home, read those words. We sang the gospel. Some of it because I knew we were going to be talking about it in the text. Some of it because this neighborhood needs to hear the gospel. And we're outside. We're forced to be outside. <laughs> So we're going to share the gospel. And, and it is the best news ever. This neighborhood, Garden Grove, Orange County, needs to hear hope right now because we are faced with a fallen world like I have never seen in my lifetime. I, I know in, lifetime, in, in the history there's been worse times, but in my lifetime I'm seeing people that are struggling with hope and struggling with fear and struggling with anxiety more than I ever have. And that's because of a fallen world, right? And so we have a message for this world to say, that is because of sin. That is because people have turned away from God. The, the, the fallenness of our world is because of that. But there's hope because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Every one of us in this world have sinned and we deserve the penalty for the sin, but Jesus came and lived a perfect life and, and he died a death that I should have died and a death he didn't deserve. And my penalty, my punishment was placed on him, and he willingly and lovingly did that. That's the gospel. And if I repent and turn my heart to Jesus, then I have his salvation and his eternal life and his righteousness placed on me or covering me. And there's hope, and there's a future and this, what's happening in this world doesn't have to bother me. That's the gospel we sing about. That's what my, I long for this neighborhood to hear. 
Because the answer is Jesus Christ. And so pray for each other. As we pray for each other that the gospel will spread or run through that person, there's a couple things you can pray for. Number one, if we're to share the gospel or share our testimony, we have to have a testimony. We have to have one worth sharing, right? And so as I pray for Justin, can I, can I keep using you as my example? No, okay, I can. As I, as I pray for Justin to share the gospel, part of my prayer is, Lord, keep him living an honorable life that has a testimony worth sharing the gospel. Keep him from sin. Keep him from evil. And that's where Paul's going to go because I think it's tied into being able to share the gospel. And so we pray for each other that, that we will have a testimony about Jesus and we'll be willing to share it. It's not enough just to have a good testimony if it never sees the light of day. And so we pray for each other that the gospel will run through each other. If you don't have someone that you're trying to reach for Jesus, I challenge you this morning, make sure you have someone. If you don't have someone in mind that you're praying for, that Jesus would come into their life and that they would turn and repent and and have him save them, then is that a priority? Is Is that what we're after? Why don't we have someone that we are longing for and praying for to know Christ? It's why we're here. 2020 is a great reminder that we're not here for a cruise vacation. It's a really lousy cruise vacation if it is. We are here to do battle for the gospel and to share the gospel. And so let's start praying for each other in that way. Second thing in verse 2 that Paul asked for prayer for, and it's a way we can pray eternally for each other, pray for rescue from sin and from evil people. Pray for rescue from sin and evil people. And, and so he goes on, and that way we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. And the word for delivered there is, is, is literally to be rescued from danger. And Paul is saying, and he's probably using uh, some very specific ideas of what's happening in Corinth, because he uses some definite articles. So he has some, some people in mind, so he's just not using names. He's like, pray for us, because there are people in Corinth that are actively opposing us from sharing the gospel that are attacking us for sharing the gospel and for our faith, that are putting us down for our faith, that are challenging us because we believe in Jesus Christ. He says, pray that we'll be rescued from that. Might that be an appropriate prayer for each other today? In a world where it seems like godly values and godly principles are more and more laughed at and mocked and scorned, but to pray for each other, that we will stand against that and from rescue for that? Pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. It's interesting that the wording there goes back to, uh, you, you can't read that, especially as, as you read the original language, without thinking of the Lord's Prayer. Because it's the same structure and the same idea, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. From these wicked and evil men. He's not praying, though, for deliverance from them just because life is uncomfortable. He's not praying for deliverance from them just because they hurt his feelings and he couldn't find a safe place. No, he's praying for them to stop and to be rescued from them because they are stopping and hindering the gospel. Everything Paul is about is the gospel. It's why we sang Cause of Christ this morning. Because that needs to be our center and that needs to be our objective. 
And he ends it by saying, not all have faith. And there's all kinds of ideas of what that means, who that's referring to. Some think it's referring to the wicked and evil men for not all have faith, that, that he wants deliverance from them because some haven't um, been faithful to God. They haven't come to faith in God. Some thinks he's talking about just those that still need the gospel. I think he's probably talking about the men here. And he's saying, and I think it reflects his heart, rescue me from them, but his heart still is that he wants them to know Christ and wants them to have faith. But he's asking to, for, for deliverance from these kind of people. Parents, especially those of you with teenagers and above, although I'd start earlier, I encourage you to make sure you're praying for your kids in this way. And I bet almost all of you are. Pray for rescue from sin, but from evil people. Because as we send our kids out, one of the, the hardest thing is, is to see them start to have friendships and associations with people that we know are dragging them down spiritually. That we know are, are making them focus on other things than the gospel and God and walking with God. And we need to be on our knees praying diligently daily for our children and for God's protection on them and for wisdom as they choose friends and who they associate with. And then we go with baseball bats and fix the... No, no, that's... (laughs) We need to pray for our kids that way. We need to pray for each other that way. Praying that nothing will hinder the gospel for each other. Praying that that person will stay out of sin. That that person will keep an upright heart for God. And and again, I I think... It's okay to pray all the details we pray, but a prayer that says, I am praying for you that God will protect you from sin in your life. I am praying for you that God will protect you from lust. I am praying for you that God will protect you from anger, that God will protect you from bitterness, from a critical spirit, from pride, and to specifically pray for each other that that the evil would be kept at bay. That means something. That means something, and it means something to the gospel, and that the gospel isn't stained. And so Paul prays for the advancement of the gospel in point number one. He prays from, for rescue from sin and evil people in, in point number two. In verse three, he prays for strength to stand firm and be steadfast even in the middle of attacks. And, and here it, it's like a parent, yeah, pray for me, but he can't help but praying for the Thessalonians and switching He says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And and he's praying here that God will specifically give strength to stand firm like we talked about last week and be steadfast even in the middle of the evil, even if Satan himself attacks, that God will give strength to handle that. A little bit of a play on words because in verse 2 it ends with, not all have faith. And the same word is used now, but God is faithful. And he's saying, yeah, men let you down because they they don't have faith. They don't believe in God. They're going to hurt and harm. But God will never let you down. He will always be faithful. And it's a contrast between this world and between God. And if you're living for this world, and if you're living in fear in this world, if you're struggling in this world, this world has nothing to offer. Because there is no faith in God in the one that actually can make a difference. And so we see that God is faithful in Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that that your God is God, 
the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's a lot of people, guys. And it's a reminder that God is faithful if we come to him. You can trust him. You can follow him. He will not let you down. And, and you may be sitting in situations where you're like, I don't know, Pastor Ron. I'm struggling with that. I feel like he's let me down. God will never let you down. He has something in the works. He is planning something for his glory and our ultimate good. He always is faithful. And so the verse gives us a couple things that he's asking. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you, which literally means to strengthen you, to give you the ability to walk with him. And the second thing is he will guard you. He will guard you against the evil one. And so the prayer is for strength from God and for that God would guard them from the assaults of Satan, from the very assaults of Satan. And I think of how encouraging this was for the Thessalonians when Paul had to leave and they feel abandoned to know that God has never abandoned them. And so we pray for each other, pray that God would strengthen each other. Pray that God would strengthen the person you're praying for to walk with him, that he would guard him against the evil one. And in such, we, we embolden people. We, we pray God's protection and his power on them. And, and again, these all say, well, those are all just very spiritual ways to pray for people, Pastor Ron. Yeah. Yeah, they're eternal. And so if we're not praying that God will strengthen people and that God will give them the ability to handle what comes their way, we're missing the point. Because Paul isn't praying that it goes away. He's praying that God will give the strength to withstand it. We go on to verse 4. The fourth way to pray eternally is God gives, or Paul gives thanks for how they're following God and pray that they will be able to do what God asks. Similar prayer request, but he's, he's thanking God for their obedience and praying for their obedience. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. And, and Paul is so good at just slipping in encouragement whenever he's talking to someone, whenever he's praying for someone. And so when we pray for each other, it, it's okay, even in our private prayer lives, to pray, thank you, God, for this person and how they're obeying you. Thank you for how they're serving you. Thank you for their faithfulness in this way. And as you do that, your attitude toward people will change. If you have someone that bugs you, someone that, that is just annoying to you, as sometimes personalities can be, Start praying thanks for them for their obedience to God and how they've obeyed God. Paul says, this is the confidence in the Lord we have in you. I'm sure of this, that you are doing and will do the things we command. And by the things we command, he's talking the word of God, the, the um, God-breathed word that they, they share as apostles. And as we pray for each other that way, it changes our hearts. But then pray for each other that will obey God and that will honor him, that will follow him. You know, sometimes we can think of obedience as just something we're supposed to do. And, and it is. We, we are supposed to obey. But if we simply, ju just like standing firm, if we simply just try to obey on our own strength and our own power, then obedience falls apart because we, we are a fallen people in a fallen world, and we need Jesus and his strength and his righteousness. And so we pray and we strive to be obedient 
but we ask God's help to be obedient at the same time. Now, that doesn't mean we ask for God's help to be obedient and we just sit there and say, I'm going to do what I want. God, make me obedient. No, there's this, this cooperation between us working in obedience and God providing the power for that work. Charles Spurgeon said this, faith and obedience are bound in the same bundle. He that obeys God, trusts God. He that trusts God, obeys God. And so we trust him to do the work and we also strive to obey. The two can't be separated. And so maybe we need to focus more on praying for each other, encouraging words, praying that we'll follow God's command rather than ripping them to shreds on Facebook or vilifying others over social media or somehow not associating with them anymore because they don't happen to have the exact same view I do, which is right. But to give thanks for each other. This is how we pray eternally for each other. Two more things in verse 5 as we close. Verse 5 says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And this is a beautiful verse. And the first part of this, the first half is pray that they will know the love of God. If we're to pray eternally for someone, pray that they will know and experience and be blessed with the love of God. The verse here says, May the Lord direct your hearts. And as Pastor Andrew said last week, the Lord, as Paul uses it, is almost always a reference to Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, may Jesus direct your hearts to, to the love of God. And, and direct was a word that was used of making ways straight, but more to clear any obstacles. When a clean king would come to town, they would do things like fill in potholes, take away stones, because you didn't want the chariot hitting that and the king falling out and dying or something really brutal like that. And so they would clear the way, they would make the path straight and smooth so the king could come. And that is the imagery Paul is using here. May the Lord direct your hearts. May he clear a way for you to experience God's love fully and completely in your whole self, in your heart, representing your whole self. If anyone can remove obstacles, Jesus is the one. And he did that on the cross as he showed us God's love in, in such an amazing way as he showed us the gospel, as he died for our sins. And so Paul is saying, may Jesus remove any obstacles to you knowing the love of God. See, God loves us. The problem is, do we know the love of God? Do we understand the depth of it? We sang about that this morning too. And so when we pray for each other, pray that that person would know God's love. As they know God's love, that will bring comfort, that will bring peace, that will bring a, a way of handling every difficulty. And then the second half of that verse, we want to pray that they will know Christ is steadfastly with them. Pray that they will know Christ is steadfastly with them. He says, pray that... that um, the Lord will direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And here's the thing. The steadfastness of Christ is represented on the cross. It's represented that he went to the cross, that he didn't back out in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he stayed on the cross and fully endured what happened to him, and that he died and was in the grave three days, and then he rose from the dead. That's the steadfastness of Christ. He didn't take shortcuts because of his love for us, because he was offering grace to us, if we will only believe in him. 
And so Paul prays that they will know the steadfastness of Christ. See, as we know God's love, as we know the steadfastness of Christ, then we can love others better, then we can be steadfast better. And so the, the eternal things he's praying for ooze out into practical life at every step. But he's praying for the root things that will actually help somebody, that will actually help somebody overcome something. Have you ever just sat and thought about how amazing the gospel is? Have you ever just sat and thought about how amazing Jesus' work on the cross is and appreciate what he went through for us? It starts to blow your mind after a while and it starts to form us to love God more and to follow him more. That's what he's asking us to pray for. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we see a reference to this steadfastness. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and there's the steadfastness. The joy was seeing sons and daughters adopted to the king, and he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If we're to pray eternally for each other, pray that they will know Christ's love, God's love. Pray that they will know how steadfast Christ was, that they will be blown away by the cross. Every time we sing Man of Sorrows, I'm like in tears because it blows me away, the steadfastness of Christ, that he would do that. And that changes us. Six ways to pray eternally for each other. Six things I would challenge you to add to your prayer life this week. Pray for each other. Keep praying for each other. Pray for the needs, but pray for spiritual growth and spiritual needs as well. Make this part of your prayer life. You know, they they say an iceberg when it's floating in the water that only like 10% is above water, right? And you have 90% under the water. And Titanic found that out the hard way. And, and think about that for a minute with your prayer life. And I would challenge you as we close today, 10% above water, that's our prayer life that is visible. That's our prayer life that our family sees, that our church sees, that our Bible study groups see. But then 90% underneath the water, either we don't have that at all, and, and we have no prayer effectiveness. But my challenge is to make that 90% a prayer life that happens in private, a prayer life that happens between you and God every morning, a prayer life that prays eternal things for each other and 10% yeah, visible, but then 90% on our needs in our prayer closets and in the privacy of our own quiet times with God that is dedicated to praying for other people and praying spiritual things for other people. I think I can safely guarantee that if every one of us did that, we would see radical answers to prayer that we had never dreamed of. But we've got to be dedicated to prayer. And we've got to make it just part of our ordinary lives that we pray extraordinary things for people. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, as we read your word, help us to be knowledgeable of of your word and the power of prayer. Help that to infiltrate our lives, Lord. Help us to pray for each other, not just for the needs to be met. Yes, include those But Lord, I pray for this this church that we will be spreading the gospel as quickly as possible, Lord. I pray that we will be standing against the evil one. I pray for obedience in ordinary things of life that we will be following God's word. Lord, I pray 
that each one here will be so blown away by your love and your sacrifice and steadfastness on the cross that we can't help but make the gospel central to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would do eternal work in our hearts as we do your work here on earth. Lord, thank you that we can meet this morning. Thank you that we can study your word. May this be a challenge we need to now continue in prayer this week and pray diligently for each other. Lord, as we close in worship right now, may our worship be a sweet sound in your ear. May it be sweet to proclaim the cross, proclaim the gospel, and what you've done for us. In your precious name, amen.